Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Sarah Wheeler, and this is Housing Wire Daily. For today's episode, I'm handing the mic off to senior real estate reporter Matthew Blake, who interviews Ken Johnson, a real estate economist at Florida Atlantic University. They'll be discussing how the rise of COVID cases may affect the housing market as we head into 2022. But before you listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Regor's appraisal platform connects lenders to their appraisal vendors with unprecedented efficiency and scalability. Smart automations, powerful integrations, and unique workflows help Regor's customers quickly scale up or down with demand, while simultaneously driving faster, easier, and more transparent appraisals. Integrating deeply with your LOS and POS, Regor delivers the right data and documentation to the right people at the right time, reducing double work for your team. Learn more at Regora.com. That's R-E-G-G-O-R-A.com. Hello, my name is Matthew Blake, real estate reporter for Housing Wire, and this is Houses in Motion, part of the Housing Wire Daily podcast feed. I'm hoping that the following episode will be something of a time capsule a year or months from now when the pandemic has somehow, some way ended. My guest on the show, Ken Johnson of Florida Atlantic University, had to record from home because he said there was a COVID outbreak on his campus. And Ken and I discussed how changes we are expecting to see in the upcoming year, higher mortgage rates, homes coming onto market due to more construction, are now again being set to the side as the number of COVID cases escalate across the country. I tried to suss out with Ken who is affected by the possible sameness of the housing market. Is there a way, for example, for agents to benefit? Ken and I also discussed the biggest stories of 2021 and what to expect in 2022, including Zillow's possible resurrection. If you have thoughts, including ideas for guests, please email me at mblake at housingwire.com. That's M-B-L-A-K-E at housingwire.com. Hello, and welcome to Houses in Motion, part of the Housing Wire Daily podcast feed. I am Matthew Blake, real estate reporter with Housing Wire, and I am here with Ken Johnson, economist at Florida Atlantic University. Ken, how's it going? Good morning. Doing well. Glad to talk again. Great. Thanks a lot for being on. And as I understand, we were saying uh, before I started recording that there is um, an COVID outbreak at, at Florida Atlantic, and I'm sorry to hear that. And I guess I wanted to start um, in that vein with the Omicron variant, and it's been dominating um, the news, dominating people's lives, uh, definitely has here in Chicago, where I'm recording this from. How do you feel that um, this new strain of COVID or just sort of the rising number of COVID cases um, is affecting the real estate market right now? I think the the result of Omicron is going to be a little little bit counterintuitive 
Because one of the things that seems to be going on early in this process as, as the new variant spreads rapidly across the U.S. is the concern for how it will impact the economy. So we're having uh, a number of people flee to the side, a number of investors flee to the sidelines in terms of, you know, do they want to be in more risky equities or are they going to go for perhaps uh, a safer haven in, in 10-year treasuries, which that appears the choice a uh, lot to be making. And that's probably driven mostly uh, by Omicron, Omicron, however you want to say it. Um, that's driven mostly there. So what's happening is the demand for 10-year treasuries is increasing rapidly here in the first few days of this rapid spread, which is driving down the yield on 10-year treasuries, which is ironically going to drive the yield, at least short term, on mortgage rates, long-term mortgage rates, 15 and 30-year mm. mortgages. So if anything, I don't see this making housing prices surge any more than they have. But we have been predicting, myself and a number of housing economists around the country have been predicting that uh, with Chairman Powell's latest stance on tapering and rate hikes in, in, in 2022, that we would see mortgage rates rise. But in fact, I think we're going to see a reprieve probably about the length of the duration of Omicron. And we'll see lower rates and perhaps the stability in prices. So the demise of the housing market isn't quite yet. So does that mean kind of more of the same? I mean, if the mortgage rates stay, this mortgage rates are not my area of specialty, but, you know, if the mortgage rates stay the same and the Federal Reserve and, you know, actors that can make important decisions such as that, you know, kind of decide to, you know, keep interest rates at, at what they are, does that mean that we're going to continue to see the kind of high demand market that we've been seeing throughout most of the pandemic? I mean, is there any sort of shift in, in sight so long as the pandemic is sort of of top of mind for most people? Not as long as Omicron is top of mind. I, I think you're going to see lower rates or stable rates instead of rising rates. So I don't think we're going to see housing prices flatten out or, or the flattening out of housing prices or the downturn in housing prices. It's not going to happen while Omicron is going through the U.S. housing market. It's just not. It's going to push rates down. That's going to keep demand relatively high, but prices are high and people are bargaining aggressively. So I think in, in the grand scheme of things, what will come out is prices just aren't perhaps going to rise fast in the next month. But once this passes, I think you're going to see rising interest rates. And then you're going to have a flattening in housing markets. Some will fare better than others uh, when rates start to rise again. This is a, a short-term reprieve to, for the housing market brought on by, oddly enough, uh, the new variant and as it spreads across the U.S. And to be somewhat crass about it, like who are the winners and losers of the housing market kind of continuing as it is right now? Like who benefits from this and who loses out from this? Well, fewer and fewer people benefit from this. I would say perhaps some clear winners would be people that are selling at the top of the market and then moving to, to either downsize or moving out of high demand markets. For example, uh, I live in Southeast Florida. So someone right now in Southeast Florida might want to sell because we're probably near the peak of the current housing cycle. And then if they went and moved to a less, less in demand area in Florida, um, can't call off the top of my head where, where that might be, but just say north of, north of Palm Beach County, 
where the demand is not as high, then you're going to sell high and be able to buy in at a reasonable price or rent at a reasonable price. But that's going to be few and far between. Losers will be pretty much everybody. Right now, we're all in a market of rising rents, rising house prices. The debate is over which one's rising faster. Well, you know what? The real problem is there's just not enough housing. So the longer these incredibly low interest rates and this high demand cycle keeps up, it only keeps pushing us to higher and higher boiling points. And that's not good in the long run. Um, some parts of the country are not as, as overheated as they were 15 years ago. Others are, are more so. It would be nice to see a little bit of increase in rates and slowly take the steam out of the housing market. We don't want crashes. We would like to just see a slowdown in demand. And in terms of winners and losers, how how should real estate agents be thinking about the housing market persisting in the high demand, low inventory, you know, way that it is right now? How is this good or bad for them? Sure. I, I see two things coming out of this. As a former broker, this is always very interesting to me. Number one, I would tell brokers that now more than ever, you're looking, you should be looking to specialize in listings. The more you list property, the easier it is to control your commission flow for the year. So you're going to want to specialize more and more in listings. And you're seeing that right now uh, amongst the, the National Association of Realtors members, where the the one the brokers that are seemingly having the best commission years are those that are specializing more and more and more in listings as opposed to driving people around. That's not surprising. That always happens when we get near the peak. That's another sign of being near the peak of a housing cycle. It's not causal. It's a result of being near the peak of a, of a current housing cycle. You want listings as opposed to driving folks around. Think about it on a Saturday afternoon. If you have 10 listings, you could possibly have 10 sales. If you have 10 potential buyers, you can only make one happy by driving them around on, say, that Sunday afternoon. An- another thing that I think we're, we're going to see mm-hmm. more and more that I encourage brokers to do, because housing is a cycle, and our cycles are now greater in magnitude. This one is not as bad as the last time, nowhere near as bad in most parts of the country. So as a practicing broker, I would encourage brokers to take on that portfolio of property management. There's a tendency mm. for the or NAR members not to manage property, but simply list property, sell property, close property. And and that's just a non-diversified portfolio. It's wise from a diversification standpoint. When I was in practice many, many years ago, I always kept some number of properties under management, not a large number, but if nothing else, to help tide me through the winter months when we were out of that selling cycle of real estate. And so we could be in for a slight downturn in the real estate market in terms of the number of sales. So now would be a good time to look to put into your portfolio as an individual real estate broker, or and I say broker meaning someone, someone that holds professional license to sell real estate. It's a good, good time to have that diversification in your portfolio and manage some properties. It will provide you with an income stream through slower times. I mean, properties are expensive to buy. Like, don't you run into some of the same problems as as your clients with that? Or how how would you? Well, there's a lot of people looking to rent property right now. And and Mm. it was never, at least it was my experience, and it has been many years, that I mostly turned down property management gigs. There were usually local firms that specialized in that. And I I only wanted to do it for certain properties. So I, I 
I never had trouble finding potential clients, you know, and it was usually people that I had dealt with in the past. Perhaps they had bought another house and they wanted to rent their current property or they were buying an investment property. And it was always nice to put some few of those under property management where I would manage that month to month leasing and, and set that up and take away a lot of the hassles and worries uh, from my former and, and, and current clients. It, and at this time of year and Christmas time in January, it's always the slowest commission months. And that's just really a good thing to tide you through. And if we are going to have a real estate downturn, it's not going to be, and again, most parts of the country as bad, but it's really nice to have several properties under management that's going to produce income for you on a monthly basis as a broker. I want to get into iBuying briefly because we actually were able to meet each other in person in Miami for the National Association of Real Estate Editors conference earlier in December. And you appeared on an iBuying panel there with uh, representatives from Open Door and OfferPad. What, what did you take away from that panel? And what did you feel at that conference, which included, you know, the main iBuying company, Zillow, which is wind da- winding down iBuying, of course, was a very prominent presence at that conference. What, what is the consensus now on iBuying? So iBuying in one form or another has always been with us. We all remember seeing the, the signs around town that say, we buy ugly houses. You know, this is just an expedited version of this. But iBuying is now, as it becomes more institutionalized, as you get more and more major investors involved in this, iBuying is here to stay. It always was, but the magnitude of it is here to stay. And I'm guessing 1% to 5% of the market in any one given year. I think iBuying won't, as I said, go away. It's here to stay. But I think how iBuying is practice will vary with where you are in the housing cycle. Currently, we're nearing the peak. And it's been really easy for the major iBuyers in the country, most of them, that is, to to come into the market around 14 or 16. And they buy now and the price of housing is going up. And especially these last two years, it was pretty easy to make margin on these houses. But as we get near the peak of the housing market, those spreads that they have to offer potential sellers will have to get bigger and bigger. So iBuying will slow down a little bit. And then once you start down the other side of the housing cycle, prices are either going flat or actually declining. iBuying will still be here, but their margins on their offer, how much they will provide to any one seller will have to be lower, meaning creating a bigger margin. I think they can have the expertise in this. I think they do have the expertise in this. And I think the other thing that you'll see different with iBuying when you're on the down cycle, and we had disagreement on the panel that day, is that many of the, the companies that are involved with iBuying will actually take property into inventory. They will buy the property from you and then hold it in inventory for some amount of time, waiting for the housing cycle to bottom out or a better mm-hmm. time to sell. So they will actually become landlords, I believe. Uh, I'm sure all of them manage some few properties now anyway. But I think this will become pretty commonplace when we're on the downside of the housing side. I, I think that I think that's very interesting about kind of what you were saying earlier with basically, correct me if I'm wrong, you're basically saying that now is a really good time to be an iBuying company because prices are appreciating because there's a lot of consumer demand. Is that correct? 
That's correct. I would say the party's nearing us in, but it has recently been a very good time because the property appreciation was so fast. So I could buy yeah. today with a relatively small margin as an iBuyer. And even if I'm through the process of holding the property just a few months, I'm going to get some pretty good appreciation in the property. So it was easier to make margin on each individual sale. But I think that party's coming nearer to the end. Because if I'm right in this, and many of us are predicting this, that we're nearing the peak of the current housing cycle, that party could be coming to an end very soon. And I think that has something to do with the Zillow withdrawal from the market. And I think they see a little bit of the writing on the wall. And yes, they had trouble with iBuying. But I also think they are quietly forecasting the peak of this current housing cycle. Just one more thing on the iBuying issue, because Opendoor, OfferPad, as I've reported, many other people have reported, even during what, as you say, is a pretty good time to be an iBuyer, these companies are still losing money. So during, you know, if the housing market were to become lower demand, if prices were to appreciate less... The strategy that you floated on the panel was maybe the iBuyers becoming landlords and holding inventory. Just on that, like, were there other ideas discussed as to how iBuyers can weather the eventual downturn of the market? Sure. So on the downside, besides property management, one of the things you have to do is get much better at the spread that you offer. In other words, the price that you offer on the property. It ha- you have to make sure the spread be- the between, if we were, this was stock, we would call it between bid and ask. So the, the spread, the, what they buy for and hopefully ultimately what they sell for is going to have to get bigger. That's just it. Once we start on the downside, that spread is just going to have to get bigger. They're going to have to find ways to manage the cost too. Uh, one of the things is, as you start to go on the downside of a housing cycle, so many of the contractors, their work dries up. So you'll see them developing strong relationships with contractors that will work in the markets. And they'll specialize more in markets. I don't think you'll, you won't see them going into middle America, Montgomery, Alabama, Topeka, Kansas. Mm-hmm. I don't think you'll see that as much as you do now. But they'll also want to have that local set of contractors that can pretty much handle everything from from roof to floors, to AC, to plumbing, et cetera. And that repeat work, they'll look to be getting not only the best work, but the best prices from those contractors. Uh, And this comes back to managing property again. They're going to look for good property management. I wouldn't be surprised to see a number of professional real estate salespeople, brokers go to work for a number of the iBuyers or even iBuying firms contract with maybe a, a national a real estate chain. That, mm-hmm. that wouldn't surprise me because it all comes in with property management. How well you collect the rents, how well you maintain the property, how big of a margin can you buy for it's, it's a little bit more intense. It's a little bit more difficult, but that's always been the market that many investment buyers have always thrived in is when the market is, is either going flat or going down. What was the biggest real estate story of 2021 in your opinion? Thank you for teeing that one up. There are a number of good pieces and th- that were that were interesting pieces. But the biggest story, I think, is Zillow withdrawing from buying property. I, I think they learned a lesson that while information is very key in valuing homes, 
valuing homes is a big part of selling property, but not the only thing. They thought that, boy, if we could price them right, that will sell instantaneously. And while that in great part is true, I don't think they understood the full equation of what it takes to bring a property in, into inventory, rehab, put on the market, sell, close, do all of these things in an economically efficient way. They weren't ready for that. I think their pricing mechanisms are very good, but mm -hmm. I don't think they don't have the core skill sets to be a, an eye buyer, to be just a long-term eye buyer. That open door and these guys are, are, are different from Zillow, uh, but Zillow is a great information. So it sounds like you're saying that Zillow will continue its sort of primacy head head of the class in terms of being the place that consumers go to as a as a real estate website, or do you feel that their failure in eye buying, which you've characterized as you know the biggest story of 2021, do you think that'll affect things like Premier Agent and um, yeah, kind of their more longstanding business? I don't really see it changing their core business. I think they saw a chance to branch out and they learned that they got into the deep end of the ocean that they weren't prepared for. Not that they can't do other things very well. And so I think Zillow is going to be just fine. They just bought back, I believe it was $750 million of their own stock. They're in really good shape. You're buying back your own stock when, when when you know you have good things to come in the future. That proves out again and again in, in, in the equity market. They've got some good things going on. I think they'll shed the iBuying episode. They'll learn from that. I do think it was rather shocking because they had been they had proved to be able to do anything. And whoops, we, they proved they couldn't do this. But I think they're going to be fine. They're, they're, the way they interact with brokers uh, will continue to evolve. Uh, that relationship mm -hmm. will sometimes be contentious. Sometimes it will be um, swimmingly well. Um, but Zillow is here to stay. I just don't see them in eye buying, and I see them getting back to their mission of information production and lead generation for, for brokers. What do you expect to be the biggest real estate story of, of the upcoming year? And obviously, COVID changes all of this, colors all of real estate, all of everything. But what are you looking at right now is what people might be talking about at this time next year? Matt, one of the things I think that will happen is we will see different responses in different markets to the peaking of the housing cycles. When I keep saying, well, prices should flatten out. And that's hard to explain what that means. But it, I'm trying to have a method of explaining that, look, some places there's going to be a minor impact. Uh, where prices will slow down, perhaps even appreciate, albeit very slowly, or maybe go down a little bit in terms of absolute prices. In some markets, there's going to be a catastrophic results in, in a pricing failure, unlike perhaps these markets. And it, I don't see it happening to the, the same market. So, for example, Miami and Los Angeles mm -hmm. were really hit hard back in, in, in five, six, and seven they appear to have learned somewhat from this, although the Miami prices continue to rise rather rapidly now, but they're still way below where they were. These cities, seemingly metro areas, will weather this coming downturn in pricing much better, perhaps, than, say, cities um, that are in the, the, the Northwest and, and Austin, Texas, for example, and these cities where they we see that they're selling at 40, 50, 60, 70 percent 
premiums above where they should be selling for, given a history of prices, some of those cities are really going to bottom out pretty hard. And it's all going to depend on demand, inventory, and interest rates and how those three things uh, shake out. Prices could rise too high. Inventory could be too short. And the results in, say, for, for example, Detroit, Michigan, where mm. we've had pretty rapid price appreciation, but the long-term trend is pretty flat. It should return back to that long-term pricing trend. The, the population in Detroit um, is actually within a 25-mile radius is less than a 1% growth in population in the next 10 years. I don't think Detroit will fare well. I think places like Tampa, Florida, Miami Metro, Los Angeles, they will fare very well where there's still strong amounts of popularity, especially if I if mm-hmm. I would stick to the example in, in the two Florida cities. Mm-hmm. High demand, we're getting 15 to 25% increase in population in each of these metro areas. There's just not going to be this major housing downturn in Southeast Florida. It's going to go flat. And it's usually where you're going to have a small increase in population or even a decrease in population is where you'll see markets take the biggest hit. My hometown, Montgomery, Alabama, mm-hmm. has seen a significant run up in prices for the area, but their expected population growth is zero in the next 10 years. So I don't think they're going to fare that well. So when you say catastrophic results, and you mentioned Montgomery, Detroit, catastrophic results for whom? For for home buyers, for people who own homes presently? Like who is going to be hurt when the market starts to add? Well, you'll see loss in value by catastrophic. I, I know I'm not qualifying it well. Let's just say where we'll see prices go down by 15% or more, okay. 20% or more. And who's going to be hurt by that will be obviously homeowners in those markets as they see loss in value. It's just like your, your stock accounts are going down because those the stocks you've chosen are falling in value. I think you can see that 15 to 20% decrease in markets uh, such as a Montgomery or a Detroit. And oddly enough, on, on another example where you have high demand, but the prices have just run up so fast, uh, would be Boise, Idaho. Uh, would be a number of Provo, would be a number of these cities where Boise in particular, uh, their premium is still up around 79%. They're paying 79% above on average. The average home is selling for 79% above where past pricing suggests the prices should be. That's amazing. And all that run-up, virtually all of that run-up, Matt, has occurred in the last 18, 20 months. You can't have that significant of a run-up without having some repercussions when interest rates start to to rise. No matter how many people are moving into the area, they just can't move in fast enough. But they've got demand, that's what's so strange. There's demand for to move to Austin, Texas, to Provo, Utah, to Boise, Idaho, but it's not balanced with the, the premiums that have been increasing in these markets, the prices that have been rising in these markets. So we're gonna have this divergent set of outcomes where last time around pretty much everybody went down quite a bit Mm -hmm. and this time around i think we're not going to see that we're going to see some metros do quite well through this uh with only a short downturn and will return to that long-term pricing trend others could have a significant fall 
uh, with a longer amount of time to, to they'll fall below the long-term pricing trend with a longer amount of time to get back to that long-term pricing trend. So that will be the big difference this time around. And I think that will be the story for the next year. Ken Johnson, Florida Atlantic University. Thank you for appearing on Houses in Motion. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwarrant.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.